I'm sure you've heard all about technology and how technology is creating a better life for all of us. In many ways, it really is. I know that I've benefited from the increase in technology. I'm sure many of you have listened are also benefiting from it. But there's another side, and often we forget about the human side of technology. In particular, things like diversity within technology is something that needs to be addressed. Today on Dr. D's Social Network, I have on again Raj Subramayer. Raj is becoming uh, an awesome guest on the show, really provides some great insight about tech career coaching, diversity in tech, and many other things related to that. I think you're really going to enjoy this deep dive into those subjects and more. Raj Subramayer. So, my so currently, if you see people are anxious about their job security, they feel stuck in their career, and there have been already mass layoffs, and people have been at the receiving end of it. And finally, you have certain sections of the people who want to advance in their career, but are afraid to do so because of the fear of the unknowns. And I was in the exact same situation in 2008, where I applied for 1,293 jobs, 1,293 jobs. And guess how many callbacks I got from applying for those many jobs? Mm. Probably hardly. Not very different. <laughs> very little, huh? <laughs> right. So I got four callbacks from applying for 1,293 jobs. And out of that, I converted one job. So as an immigrant at that time, it was really hard to get jobs because no one was ready to sponsor my work permit. It was a recession. And now we are in similar kind of situation as well. And when I was in the midst of a recession and uh, uh, in really tough conditions, I started learning about different strategies based on real life experiences that helped me uh, transition from a minimum paying job into where I am today, where I'm running my own six-figure business, right? And I am an average kid. If I can do it, so can anyone. So that was kind of the motivation of the book because I was seeing that there have been a lot of mass layoffs and then people were connecting with me on LinkedIn and I was just uh, helping them for free. And yeah. I started noticing that probably, you know what, I should share these strategies on a larger scale. And that's when the seed for the book was planted. So I started writing the book. I decided to write the book uh, in April, end of April. And then I wrote the majority of the book in the first 30 days, actually, because every day I wrote about 1,500 to 2,000 words. But then... I wanted to make it more actionable. So I created worksheets. I created I created a lot of uh, things people can download and implement in their real professional lives as well to help them find their dream job. So yeah, that's the whole story and uh, how I went about writing the book. And finally, yeah, re- uh, the book released this week because uh, I wanted to put in as much effort as possible to make it more uh, and make it really impactful. And uh, yeah, pretty excited for it. 
That's great. I always love when people are doing things they want to do, writing books and variety of things. Where do you see this going for this book and, and the impact for it? I believe this book is going to help a lot of people. And I think that uh, a lot of people are going to get the book because of two reasons. One is I share my real life experiences going through the same feelings people are going through now. And then I really talk about how I got out of the those uh, situations successfully, right? Second thing is a lot of things I saw missing in the currently existing career-related books was they talk about the experiences or talk about strategies. But I felt that it was missing the connection between how different experiences weave into real-life strategies to help transform your career. And that's the gap I think my book is going to fill in where I share my real-life experiences and then talk about strategies to make it more relatable for people. So that's that's why I think the book is going to reach a lot of people. It's going to be more impactful. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see how it goes. And I'm going to continue doing more stuff uh, related to the book as well in terms of courses, in terms of uh, free events where people can just talk to me about different things related to their career. Uh, so yeah, the opportunities are endless and I'm looking forward to it. So how do you see yourself in terms of mentorship in the tech industry and career strategies for people? Someone you want to see yourself as a leader in it or just someone who really just helps other people get into the business and have a realistic outlook of it? So for me, I never want to be a leader in anything because I have uh, tried to be a leader or be the top person in a particular thing. And that ended up giving me more disappointment because uh, at any point of time, this uh, fact of life where there are always going to be people ahead of you, there's always going to be people who are still not yet to your level. And that's the reality of life. Even Bill Gates may have things which he thinks he hasn't accomplished, but Bill Gates is Bill Gates, as we know, right? right. So I never try to chase after trying to be a leader in the industry, but I want to be someone who makes an impact on people's lives uh, in what I do. And what I do is tech career coaching, specifically helping people in the tech industry uh, find their dream job and become successful leaders in the industry. So I'm focusing just on that. And in terms of mentorship, I just want to share my experiences and then listen to people about what they're going through and give them some actionable steps, which could help transform their life from a place of scarcity to abundance. Because the opportunities, opportunities in life are endless. It all starts with uh, setting your mindset and belief system that you need the change and you can do it, right? Because this is the thing I tell people. If you think and feel as if you're worth only $50,000, then the way you show up, the way you act, the the way you do things is going to reflect a person who's earning $50,000. But if you feel that you're worth 
$200,000, then the way you react, the way you think, the way you feel is going to be like a person who who's worth $200,000. So it starts with mindset and belief system. And I think as part of my mentorship, that's, that's what I could offer. And also uh, add on different strategies, which I have personally used to uh, increase my salary by 150% in just 12 years. And also becoming uh, a rock star in terms of uh, being a star performer in different companies. So I'm going to share all those strategies in the book and through my mentorship as well, because anyone can do it. If I can do it, anyone can do it. I'm curious about your thoughts about this and kind of leading uh, piggybacking with that is, do you think people coming into the tech industry currently, and especially as you're coaching people, is there a focus on being in the industry for purely the innovation aspect, purely monetary aspect, or a combination of both? So just to make sure I understood the question, so you were wondering whether people trying to get into the tech industry, was it because of the innovation piece or the monetary piece, right? Yeah. Is there a sense that, are, again, just your observation of what you're seeing, do you see that people are getting in trying to... Um, focus primarily on, hey, I want to build a startup and do all this because I just want to sell this company and make a lot of money or that they really have a sense of, I want to be innovative and grow something new that will contribute to society or both. So I think um, a lot of people these days, based on my experience, are driven by passion and impact to people. Gone are the days when People just build something so that they can make money off it because uh, I was that way where I thought fame and money was everything when I started my IT career. But then in 2018, mid-2018, I suffered severe burnout and uh, I had to go to the ER and uh, they had diagnosed me with severe burnout. Uh, anxiety and dehydration. That's because I was chasing the wrong dream and I was not in the right frame of mind because I thought fame and money was everything. But apparently once I started shifting the mindset to actually serve people, to help them lead better lives, that's when I got real joy for what I do. Now, taking that context into what we were just discussing, I believe a lot of people are trying to start different things in tech because they're trying to solve a problem. But a byproduct of it is, yes, there is jealousy, there is a lot of politics involved, but I think a majority of people are trying to do some great things to impact the community. And, of course, there are always going to be certain percentage of people who are starting a company just so that they can make money off it. But based on research, based on thousands of books we have read and thousands of experiences of people sharing, uh, sharing how they uh, uh, built a company. It's proven that if you start a company just for making money, you're not probably going to reach uh, that level of success that, uh, uh, instead of uh, actually looking to build a company to help lead, help uh, people lead better lives, right? I think that is what's going to reach, make you reach uh, better heights. So I think it's a combination of both. Um, and one more aspect I just want to mention here was 
that's why um, we see, I think we're starting to see a lot of diversity in tech as well, because uh, uh, there's there's a lot of people, uh, as, especially like my younger generation, they have an entrepreneurial mind and they're coming from different backgrounds and are coming from different contexts and uh, starting to build uh, new things to solve different kinds of problems. So I'm trying, I'm starting to see this trend where uh, there's also a lot of diversity happening in tech, but yes, we still have to do a lot of work in that regard. But overall, I think, yeah, the people build companies or work in tech mainly for the impact they can make in their lives and others. I want to get to the to more in depth to the diversity piece, but I want to step back real quick and discuss kind of the topic of let's in in your coaching. Do you ever come across people who maybe say they want to be a tech entrepreneur, but maybe you don't see that them being an entrepreneur is the way to go? They may need to work for a company versus that because not everybody is a startup person or is going to have their own business. Is there a sense with some people that, hey, maybe the startup or being an entrepreneur, owning your own business is not the pathway for you? That's a great question. So. When people approach me, I first start with what is called the mind dump exercise. And I also explain all these mm. things in the book as well. Yeah. Uh, the mind dump exercise is one of the most simplest exercises you could do, but it's super effective and uh, people do not pay attention to it. So this is the thing. Say you're using Google Maps and if you don't put the destination address, then you cannot complain that Google Maps is not working properly. Because you don't know what your destination is. And our careers and our passions and our interests are the same way. You need to know where you're going, right? So that's why this mind dump exercise is really helpful. And the way to do that is really simple. Just take a paper and pen. Literally put a line in the middle of the sheet. And on the left side of the column... Uh, write down things you like to do. And on the right side, write down things you hate to do. And do this in an uninterrupted manner with uh, like for 30 minutes or, or an hour, no digital screen times or any interruptions, right? Because you mm -hmm. want your mind to flow. And then what happens is you write on all these things and then you start identifying different patterns. Say, for example, since I'm a tech guy, Let's just take a tech example, right? So say, for example, you said in terms of things you like to do, uh, you like creativity, you like solving complex problems, you don't like to work in teams, and you want to be technical, right? So maybe being a software developer in a startup company is what you probably want to do. Because in the things you hate to do list, the same person would have said that uh, I hate managing teams, I hate collaboration, I hate processes, right? So that tells you something that you probably do not want to join a company where there's stringent processes, which is going to restrict your creativity. So coming to your point of entrepreneurship uh, in tech or any other side hustle or main hustle you want to do. These patterns which you identify is going to tell you a lot of stories about yourself in terms of what your interests are. If, for example, if uh, taking risks is not your thing, if uh, 
having no processes and being fluid and uh, figuring out things as you go is not your thing and uh, communication is not your thing, then maybe entrepreneurship is something you need to really think hard about because it may not be your cup of tea. So that's how you identify whether you you could be successful being an entrepreneur or not, right? And this whole mind dump exercise is a really, really powerful exercise. And that's what people I think should do. Uh, instead of me telling them, oh, you're not fit for being an entrepreneur because I, I'm not them. They know what they have to do and all those things are unlocked in their mind. But when they put everything visibly on a piece of paper, that's when the magic happens. Do you ever apply this to a person's personal life, the same mind dump exercise and see what happens? Yes, I do. Because uh, career coaching is a funny thing. I know I do uh, career tech career coaching specifically in the tech industry, then talk about strategies and stuff. But it often leaks into your personal life as well. Yes. And um, this mind up exercise is going to be useful for your personal life as well. Because when you do the mind dump, you don't just write stuff related to career. You write anything which comes to your mind, which piques your interest, which you love doing. It could be gardening. At the same time, it could be programming. It could be uh, working out. At the same time, it could be uh, collaborating with teams, right? So if what that helps you to do is identify personal goals and also career goals. And say you apply for a job, and if there's a lot of flexibility, then if a person wanted to work on his fitness or work on a side hustle while working for the company, then that could be a really good opportunity opportunity for him or her, right? So this mind dump exercise definitely helps in personal growth as well. In fact, all my clients who are like VPs of uh, engineering, uh, mid to senior level folks in tech, they often uh, give insights uh, into their personal lives to me so that I can better help them out because they may not be in the right place sometimes and you just have to dig deep and try to unravel what their fears were because some people have childhood traumas and childhood fears mm -hmm. like how I had to go through and that keeps haunting them when they talk in with CEOs and CTOs, right? So we try to delve into the personal aspect uh, uh, address that, and then we can talk about strategies. So just to summarize, yes, it could help in your personal life as well. Yeah, I just thought about that. I was like, this seems like this certainly could um, transfer over. One, I love the exercise. I was sitting there thinking to myself, I would like to do this. I feel like I have a good sense of things, but it's good to put it down and to look at it and to just see and, you know, when you write something down, it becomes even more real to you. And and not even just exactly. typing it. Not typing. I feel like writing, actually, it down as well. Maybe some other connection to just the human hand writing something, you know? I totally agree. Although I'm a tech guy, I have a lot of notebooks around me. One is for personal development. One is for the courses I take. One is for keeping notes on my clients. So I'm still an old school guy because uh, as as you mentioned, 
uh, actually taking a paper and pen is a totally different feel than actually typing your thoughts. And because when you write down stuff, you can start uh, putting diagrams and then you could circle stuff and then you could be you. At least for me, that's my experience when you actually take a paper and pen compared to mm-hmm. writing, I mean, typing down your thoughts. So yeah, definitely uh, paper and pen is going to be really, really helpful. And one more thing just to add to it was um, you had mentioned, yeah, that is something anyone can do and it's going to be a useful exercise. It is so true because this is a thing, all the things you need to know, all the things you have to do in life or your ideal career or your ideal job or your personal goals, everything is unlocked. Everything is uh, in your mind. You just have to unravel it one by one, right? And Mm -hmm. writing it down, making it visible helps to do that. In fact, as I speak right now, in my office, I have printed down different goals for me and it's on the walls so that every time I sit in my office, I look at what my goals are. I have a vision, I have a mission, I have a purpose, and uh, I keep uh, getting focused when I actually look at it every time I just lift my head up, right? But that's my way of keeping myself motivated. Similarly, for other people listening to this podcast, Mm -hmm. if you do the mind dump exercise and you identify different goals, career options, different things you want to do in life, Take a printout of it and then keep it visible somewhere so that every day you're reminded about why you're doing what you're doing and why uh, you're pursuing something, right? It gives you a different kind of meaning for life. I want to get into, and one, that's awesome. And I think people, this mind dump exercise is going to be a thing when I release this. I'm hoping a lot of people kind of take this step and work on it, but Tell me about the, the the diversity in tech piece, because I know that's something we kind of left off on on the last podcast, and we wanted to kind of save that for this and dive into it. So give me your perspective about what's going on with diversity kind of on a large scale in tech, and then we'll kind of rein it in a bit. Sure. So let me start with some statistics, right, because uh, that helps to set some context. So according to a study conducted by the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, they found that 70% of the people right now in the workforce are white, 14% are Asians, 8% are Africans, um, uh, African-Americans, and then 8% are Hispanics. So that's where we are at right now. So the startling number here is 70% of the workforce is still predominantly white people, right? And I think that's been the biggest problem where we talk about diversity in tech and we see some initiatives, but we don't seem to be having that much impact yet. And we have been having the same conversations for the past 20, 30 years, but uh, Needle has not moved significantly. And just uh, adding to that, another aspect to think about is women in tech as well, right? So we talk about diversity in tech, then another one aspect is women in tech. Some, again, mind-boggling statistics is 25, only 25% of the women are in technology. And it's been the same number 
same percentage since the 1960s. One nine six zero since the 1960s. Only 25% of the women are in tech. So with that context in mind, now the li- your listeners can think and see whether we are diverse enough in technology. And the answer is no, because I think big companies like Google, Amazon, all those companies, they call them a diverse and inclusive work environment. But unfortunately, they treat diversity as a numbers game. So what do I mean by that? Every company is given like a quota to fill, like uh, the minority group quota. And they people are bent upon just filling up that quota without paying attention to people as humans. Instead, they treat them as numbers. And then once they f- fill up the quota, then you advertise themselves as a diverse and inclusive workplace so that it's good marketing for them. And then uh, they get all the benefits from the government as well. So that is the current state of affairs. I know in our last episode, for those of you who didn't listen to it, definitely go check it out because we delved into AI and actual Mm -hmm. software impact on diversity. Now what I'm talking about is the human value and the human impact of diversity in tech. And that's where we are at right now. Those are incredible statistics. And um, what's interesting is those statistics probably are, in terms of you look at that 70%, probably a lot of the decision-making is happening in terms of software and algorithms that are implemented into different systems. Um, And that can have a devastating effect on how minorities are affected by what happens in algorithms, whether it's in finance or in other things in life. Oh, 100%. That, that's true. Because um, as um, we were discussing before, uh, algorithms are used in the way we shop, the way we uh, use social media, the way we buy things, the way uh, people do recruiting. The So pretty much every aspect of technology right now has algorithms, and those algorithms do not have a cultural context. And that is also... Re- big problem, right? Added to what I was saying. Uh, Apart from humans treating other humans in terms of a numbers game, it's also about the technology we use, which does not consider, which does not consider different uh, uh, cultural context in mind, right? So for example, uh, uh, if a person grew up in a really bad neighborhood, but he or she had worked their way through in getting a college education, getting scholarships and proving to people that they know what they do. Unfortunately, say a company uses an algorithm software to screen candidates, the there are chances that the software won't pick up this candidate who did everything from a really bad childhood to where he is right now. Uh, it's not going to pick that person up just because it'll take into consideration that he comes from a bad neighborhood and then comes from a family of criminals, but does not value the person as him or her, right? So yeah, there are a lot of loopholes, a lot of uh, possibilities of discrimination right now um, when we talk about diversity in tech. So what are some of the, as we kind of 
unpack this and, and get a little more specific, what are some of the things being done to help change those percentages, hopefully in the future, in terms of the number of minorities and create more diversity in the tech industry? There are a lot of reforms and practices which people are trying to implement uh, in the com- in their companies, especially in these times where we are living in a really crazy world. Um, there are a lot of uh, things companies are trying to do, but they generally fall into these six to seven factors, which uh, I'm going to share right now. And that's that's what people are trying to do in their to, in their work environments to make it more diverse and make it more inclusive. So first thing is respect respecting and understanding cultural differences. So when you work with diverse work environments, it's really important to be cognizant of the fact that you're working from people with people from different cultures because just for example, different words would mean different things. What one word means in one region may not be the exact same uh, meaning in another region. Uh, like, for example, say I come from India. I'm originally from India. There we would say uh, Microsoft and Google had had a tie-up. What they actually meant by that phrase is Microsoft and Google uh, had a joint venture. You see what I'm saying? So they're different words people use yeah. from different cultures. Even the simplest thing like that, we need to start understanding these cultural differences, right? The next thing is, if you have, if you work for companies who are in communication aspect, right? Like say Facebook, say Slack, uh, say uh, your iMessage. In terms of diversity and inclusion, uh, a focus is in the way you have text conversations. You need to make sure you have mindful text conversations, especially when you're working with teams uh, from different cultures, right? Because certain words, certain emojis, certain GIFs, they may not be applicable to certain sections of the people. So having mindful text conversations is the second thing, which I think is part of their reforms and different things they're doing within the teams. And just a couple of other things to mention here is having regular DNI trainings. That is so, so important. You'll be surprised how you'll still find a lot of people who haven't traveled more than uh, half an hour from their birthplace and they would be 40 oh, by yeah. now. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and I thought that was strange, but apparently it's a thing because uh, not a lot of people get to uh, ex- experience a lot of stuff due to various reasons. And for those people who haven't traveled quite a bit, who didn't get a chance to have that interaction with different kinds of people, DNI trainings, when I say DNI trainings, diversity in- and inclusion trainings at companies are really, really important because that's when they come to know about a lot of differences in the way people interact with each other. Each other. So for example... Let's just take personal space. So where I come from, from Mm -hmm. India, people have a different understanding of what personal space is because you can find a lot of people uh, 
breathing down your neck by your shoulder in India, and that is normal because as part of the culture, they don't have that much space between different people. It's not, they don't consider that as creepy. But now, where I live in here in the United States, you have this whole personal bubble, which you don't want people to get into. And if someone does the same thing where uh, a person is breathing down your neck uh, really close to you, you're going to start feeling uncomfortable because that's not what people do in the US, right? So that is a simple example of yeah. the differences. And just by having DNI trainings, you come to be... Uh, come to be aware of all these things. And finally, a lot of companies like Google, Facebook are having open conversations about diversity, uh, women in tech, and other, and other aspects which are really important. What do I mean by that is they have a lot of open town hall meetings where they bring in different people to talk about these topics. They engage the employees to ask open questions uh, in an open setting and then try to have a uh, useful conversation which would, be, which would be mutually beneficial to everyone, right? So having open conversations, uh, that is something which people are doing. So what I just mentioned, these four or five things are pretty much being put forth through various uh, channels, through uh, through various forms like uh, reforms, through trainings, through policies, uh, and uh, things like that. It's fantastic. It seems like there's a, there's a lot there to chew on, but it sounds like that there at least is an effort going on to move towards a more diverse, a more inclusive tech industry. Um, for that, which I think is a positive thing because there are a lot of intelligent, creative people who are just not getting opportunities. Uh, and I think you want to get as many uh, wonderful, kind-hearted, intelligent, creative people providing you know, solutions to the problems of the world and helping people as you can. It should not be dominated by one ethnicity or another for that. You want to get as many great minds as possible involved. Exactly. And that's one of the things which is really important to me when I, as part of my work, which is working with people who have been stereotyped or victimized or racially discriminated in their workplace. So a majority of my clients are like that because I went through the same kind of experiences because I was stereotyped. For example, uh, at my first job, whenever people talk about American football, they didn't include me in conversations. When they talked about basketball, they didn't include me in conversations because they thought that I won't be interested in it, right? They didn't give even give me an opportunity to uh, know or to find out whether I'd be interested in those topics. So they used to hang out separately and they used to leave me because they thought, okay, I won't be interested in them. But they didn't know that I was playing for different leagues in basketball. And I right. follow the NBA and I've been following it for over 12, 13 years, right? So that is just a really simple, random example. But I well, I face a lot of these issues in different forms. And one of my mission in life is to help other people who are going through the same journey, especially women in tech, because um, 
they have to work extra hard in a male-dominated environment. And uh, it is sad, but there are ways you can come out of it successfully and educate people why certain things uh, should be done a certain way, why certain things are probably not good for women empowerment, right? So ninety, about 90 to 95%, I would say, of my clients are women of color who are mm-hmm. going through different experiences and rest of them are just people who really want some help, right? Uh, so that's why part of my job is to keep talking about this. I talk about this at various conferences, which is diversity and tech and then inclusion, and also try to live it and help other people who are living it as well. It's fantastic. I think, you know, that is not a conversation I think is happening enough because so much of the conversation I feel is steered towards, you know, artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine learning, and all these things related to kind of AI based things or software programs versus the human element. I think we forget about the human element in technology quite a bit because we're so fascinated by what sometimes we look as the wizardry and the magic of technology to improve our lives and connect others that I think we can never forget about the existence of humans in that machine and how it's a huge part of the development of it. Exactly. As we talked about last time uh, in our previous episode, there are actually humans who have to figure out what data sets have to be used to train the AI and that should be a diverse and inclusive data set in terms of, say, for example, you're training an image recognition app like Google mm-hmm. Photos or whatever app you use, you need to make sure you feed the AI or train the AI with different images of uh, Caucasian people than people from Europe of a brown color, black color, um, different color images, right? And that's mm-hmm. when the AI starts to learn that, oh, okay, I see there are brown people. Oh, I see there are uh, black people. Oh, I see there are white people. And then when it starts making its decisions, it would be less racist or less discriminatory than how it is right now. So yeah, definitely it's a huge part of it. I mean, that that's a really good example of those things. Again, I don't think we're thinking about that on a large scale. So it's good to get that out there on these things. Raj, I'm so happy you came on again. It's it's very easy to speak with you. You have a, a tremendous amount of great ideas, and and you're doing things from both the tech side, the you know aspect, and the human side, which I think is very refreshing. So thank you for coming on again. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Because as usual, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, uh, as uh, probably your listeners know, nothing is scripted here. We just have no. open actual frank conversations, which is awesome. So thank you for providing that channel uh, to share my thoughts as well. And of course, uh, for your listeners, if they want to connect with me, definitely hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Raj. And uh, have an awesome day. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll be in touch. Same here, man. You take care and we will uh, catch up soon. Got it. Thanks. Thanks. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? 
because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut. Stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.